0: All right, my friends. All right, everybody. I almost don't want to get started because that means we have to end it. I don't know. Could you uh, just see me up here, just watching all of you? I'm just, um, I'm just so grateful for our Tuesday nights and where we've been together, and um, just the difference between Class Thirty Six and Class One. You are also prim and proper in the first class. <laughs> Little halos shining and quiet and ready to get started. And man, now look at you all—all all those times, right? All those tarnished halos. So here we are. It's week thirty-six of Romans. It sure doesn't seem like thirty-six weeks, does it? Um, but we'll um, we're going to close our class today, and and. Um, we get to close by just really seeing the heart of St. Paul. Isn't it beautiful? He lays out all this thick theology, and then he ends with just this great letter, this, this chapter of friendship, as he just calls out people that have been meaningful and important to him. And, and uh, it's, um, this guy can come across St. Paul as a hard, sort of uh, uncaring theologian who's sort of just got his head stuck up in the sky, but when it comes right down to it, he's a guy who loves people and loves people to know Jesus. And so we get to close with St. Paul's beautiful heart as he affirms the ministry of others. And in the law, in the way, he'll also affirm our ministry too. So wonderful that we can close it off together week 36. So I imagine you're kind of anxious to see some things about a vote. But first, let's talk about this. Don't forget next Tuesday is our end of the year potluck party. Some of you were so anxious that you thought it was already tonight and started wanting to bring stuff. So um, just hold your horses. Uh, Next week we'll meet here and it's a little earlier than usual. Did you see that? Potluck's starting at 6 o'clock. And then we're just going to eat and have some fun. I've got some, I already started working on some fun games that we'll play together that will test your knowledge uh, of things. And so um, bring your thinking caps. Uh, And then midnight is the end of the party. You got to go home. All right. So the vote. Should we talk about this? Next year's study will be, well, not yet. There were 91 votes. 64 of them were in person and 27 of you voted online. I think that's pretty amazing. Our online people. Uh, have been just amazing at connecting with us and following through with us. And we don't always get to see them. You all don't. But many of them are emailing me all the time and telling me they're trying to assure me that they really, really, really are following along on their jammies. Uh, so we're thankful for all of you online folks. And so of all of those votes, we had 91 votes. Here's your results. The Gospel of John won far and away with 67% of the vote. Crossway and either who I don't care as long as we're together studying the word there were 13% of you that said that. Uh, I'm afraid I scared a lot of you away with crossways. A lot of you wrote stuff down on your votes like, it sounds too hard. <laughs> it's too intense. I don't want to do all that homework. So, but I have not even forgotten crossways is going to happen yet sometime. I want to do that again. It's been too long and it's such an amazing class. So Somewhere out there. Next year, I'm just maybe not going to give a choice. We're just going to do it. So anyway, the, the see, there you are. So good news is I'm so excited already. I started working on our stuff for John. So already I'm starting to put the outline together and I'm thinking through what we're going to do. In our, thir- in our we have 36 weeks that we get to be together and John. And just think of, here, did you know that John, he's all big into numbers, if you know John, he wrote Revelation. If there's not a book of the Bible, that's more into numbers than Revelation. But in the Gospel of John, it shows up too. And he's got these cycles of sevens that he talks about. There's the seven signs that he's going to talk about in the Gospel of John. We'll get to talk about Jesus turning water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the man of the the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, the healing of the blind man, the raising of Lazarus. These seven beautiful signs. We'll get to talk about the seven I am statements of Jesus, right? These are John, the Jesus, I am the way, the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, resurrection of life, the way, the truth, and the life and the true vine. And then there are seven important people uh, that he brings up. And around each of those persons, there is a, a miracle or a story that comes around with it. So can you see already how awesome this is going to be? Romans was really like, um, it was most of our time was like, theology and doctrine, wasn't it? It got a little practical here in the end. But the Gospel of John is just beautiful stories of Jesus teaching and reaching and touching people with the good news of who he is. We're just going to love, love, love the Gospel of John. But I also decided I'm going to make you do a lot of homework too. All right? No, just kidding. Um, it's going to be fun flowing across ways. We'll get you ready. All right. So already I'm excited. I hope you are too. We're going to start in September, you know, again, uh, and we'll get things going same time as we do here. And so talk it up with your friends. Um, uh, the more the merrier as we dig into the Word of God together. All right. So John is a common. So now we're ready to talk about Paul's postscript, his chapter 16. And before we do, of course, we should pray up and get ready for the Word of God. Hey, eh? Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I'm so grateful and thankful for our time together in the Word. It has been so meaningful. It has been so impactful. And I think it's been kind of fun, too, Lord. So I thank you for that. And and uh, just pray that as we close our time in this book today, we would see St. Paul's heart. And that what really matters is not the theology and not the doctrine, but really matters to St. Paul is the people. The people who... Um, who are touched by Jesus Christ and the people who are now this new thing called the church, and and just um, as we see His love for people and what they meant to Him, uh, may we feel that love too—the uh, love that came from this great Saint Paul and the love that comes from His great Savior Jesus. So bless us as we continue in this and, and finish this last chapter of the book of Romans, and and uh, pray that uh, we'll be able to use it in life every day. We we'll pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, his great postscript. What does Samuel Taylor Coolidge and Martin Luther have in common? Do you know? <laughs> yes, Dennis, they're dead. You see what I mean? All right. Yeah, you do. All right, Coolidge said this. He said that Romans, the book of Romans, you know, and he's what a great author he was and poet. He said that Romans was the greatest piece of writing in existence. That's pretty high praise. Martin Luther called the book of Romans the greatest book in the Bible. Yep. So it was his his favorite book. So they both love this book, right? Uh, and so Paul has written this beautiful book, and now how is he going to close it? How is he going to close this writing tonight on your on your uh, study guide you can see we're looking at these four things we'll look at paul's commendation we'll look at his cordial cordiality we'll look at his caution and we'll close with his conclusion so those are the sort of four parts that we'll get at together in um romans chapter 16. and then here's the deal there's a lot of names as you were reading through this that are hard to pronounce There's a lot of different kinds of people from all different backgrounds and such. And you might think that it's just a list of names. And what does that mean to us? All these people are long dead and gone. But right here's, I want to just remind you that what, what we know about Scripture, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How much of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us to learn from? What did it say? All. So even a silly list of names, right? God has put those names there for a reason. It's not just accidental that these names show up. This is inspired Word of God. God inspired St. Paul to give us these lists of names. And so I worked hard this week to just dig into these names because each name is a person with a story, each name is a person with a connection to St. Paul and a connection to the early church. Each one of these names that it's so easy to just go, I can't pronounce this name and just zip right on through it, right? Each name, there is a, it, there is a God-inspired moment that we need to hear from or learn from. So we're going to spend a lot of our time today just chunking through these names and learning what do we know about these people, why were they important to Paul? Why did God consider it important enough that He'd have Saint Paul write them down for us? So I hope today you'll see that we're not just talking about uh, like a history class of names, but these are names chosen by Saint Paul, inspired by Saint, uh, inspired by God for our uh, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Sound okay? Yeah. See, already you got it. Every life matters. Yep, every life. And you might think, you know, what can I do in this world that's really going to matter? You don't know. You don't know what God's going to do with that, how he will use that uh, to accomplish great things. All right, but that's, by the way, one of my uh, whole slides that's coming. So hold that thought. All right, so let's look at some of these, shall we? First of all, Paul begins by his commendation, and right away at sixteen one and 2, he begins by lifting up someone. Her name is Phoebe. He said, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. All right, let's unpack Miss Phoebe's cell, shall we? Now, you all remember, in those days, there was no post office, right? You know this. If you had a letter to share with someone, you didn't lick a stamp and throw it in your box, right? It was before those days. This was before the uh, carrier pigeon, right? This was before the Pony Express. If you wanted to get a letter to someone, what did you have to do in those days? (laughs) Yeah. Put it in your little backpack, put on your best pair of shoes, and start walking. You get it? Right? So how did Paul get his letter? Remember, he wrote this from Corinth. How did Paul get his letter from Corinth all the way down to Rome? A lady named Phoebe. Right? Phoebe took this letter from Paul to Rome. And so what can we say about Phoebe? He commends her. He doesn't just say, here's your post office person. He says there's so much more about her than just a letter deliverer. There's so much more about her. He commends them or her to them. So what can we say about Phoebe? Obviously, she is a woman. How do we know this? Because our sister Phoebe. So we know she was a woman. We know she was a Gentile. Phoebe means bright. And she's named after one of the Greek gods. Phoebe is also a Greek god. We know she's from Centuria, which is nine miles south of Corinth, there in Asia Minor, right? So we know that about her. But what does he say then? He says she is a servant of the church. A servant of the church. Now, notice this. She's not a servant of the Lord. That's See, we hear that when we hear servant of the church. But what, what he means by servant of the church was she was a church worker. Right? So she wasn't just a person who believed in Jesus. She was a person who had given herself to the work of the church. Most likely it was her full-time job, her full-time occupation. This is what she did, was work for the church in Corinth. And then don't miss this. When it says that she is a servant of the church, the word that's used is a diaconon, from which we get our word deacon or deaconess. We still use that word today, don't we? Deacon, like Deacon Dennis, or a deaconess. We have that uh, role in the work in the church today. We have deaconesses, right, a servant. And what did deaconesses do back in those days, right? They did these four things. They took care of the sick and the poor. They visited the martyrs in prison, providing food, clothing, and correspondence, letters back and forth. They participated in baptisms, and they ministered to women in general in the church, So as St. Paul commends this woman to Rome, the idea is that she's probably going to stay there. He's sending her to her new call, to her new position in ministry, to her new church work from Corinth to Rome. So she's not just a letter deliverer. She is a diaconess, a deaconess who is coming to do the work of the Lord. And then there is this very interesting thing. Right, this servant of the Lord, prostasis. Remember this word hapax legomenon. Remember what that means. That means it's a word that's only used one time. Right, this word is only used one time. When he says that she was a helper to me, this that's the word prostasis. The NIV translated as helper, but really it's. um, If you look it up, it's a patroness, a protect, a protectress. That's a tough word, a succor. One who suckles or helps another, a helper. So I don't like the translation of the English, just a helper. It's so much more than that. She is one who who digs into someone's life and protects and cares and supports and encourages and is involved with. This prosthesis word is just an interesting, fascinating word. It's so much more than just someone who shows up to help once in a while. It's someone who walks through life with you. A deaconess who is a prostasis is a beautiful example of what a church worker should be. Right? As I think about what is the goal of a church worker today, a pastor, a DCE, a director of family life, and you know, what what should they be? They should be a deaconess doing these things and they should be a prostasis. A helper, one who gets involved and walks through life with us. So Paul commends this amazing woman to the church at Rome. I think that's pretty sweet. What are some insights that we should get then from this? Right? Here's me processing this. This is the, what does this mean to, for us today kind of thing. right? It means we should accept the ministry of women. I told you what the big battle in the Missouri Synod is. right? What do I always say it is? What do we argue about? Wine, women, and songs right? Communion, the role of women in the church, and whether kind of music is appropriate or not appropriate in worship. The, the, the role of women. Uh, you cannot read chapter 16 of Romans and not be impressed with what Paul thought about the importance of women in ministry, right? Just it's all over the place. And again, what maybe you don't know is that how rare that was at the time Paul is writing this. You know, the reason Paul has to commend Phoebe so strongly is because she was a woman and would not receive that commendation. Right. So he lifts her up and supports her because he knows how important the role of women is in the church. So he, don't, we, don't we can also not belittle it or think less of it or devalue it, but also need to receive it with joy. OK, next thing, we should also affirm the ministry of women. He says, give her help give her support and give her encouragement, right? So not only would we just accept it, like, oh, yeah, that's really nice, but he also asks us to affirm it, to encourage that role in that ministry. We should appreciate the role of women, be thankful for all the help that she has given. And finally, uh, oh, I thought there were four things, just three. All right, just those three things. Uh, and so that's our, our calling as we think about the role of women in church today. Do you want to all talk about the Missouri Synod reason for why we will not ordain women, or should we just pass on that? Oh, I kind of had a fear you would say that. You know, in our Missouri Synod, we really have a different, or excuse me, in the Lutheran Church, we really have a different kind of idea about how that all works. ELCA, there's no distinction. Women can be ordained. Uh, Wisconsin Synod, there's a huge distinction. Women can't even vote in their churches. They can attend the, they can attend the meeting, but they dare not vote. And, and they cannot teach a Bible study if there's a man in the class because a woman shall not have authority over a man. Well, that's another thing, but that's a whole other thing. right? So I'm just saying, you have one extreme where there's zero difference between men and women. We have another extreme where there's a whole lot of difference between men and women. And then there's the Missouri Synod, which is kind of right in the middle. We say that women are welcome and encouraged and have an important role in ministry, but they can't serve as pastors. Now, you know what I think? I think the Missouri Synod's got that wrong. This is just my Dan opinion. All right? Please turn off the cameras, Todd. You know, because what we... we, we kind of wishy-wash it. It's either one or the other. There's no wishy-washy thing in the middle. We wishy-washy it in the middle. It's either one or the other. You know what I'm saying? And so we kind of, uh, I don't know. So my Dan theory is, right, that the Bible is not as clear about women in the office of the pastoral ministry as we like to make it because for every verse that you can bring up that argues that only men should be pastors, there's 20 other verses in Romans chapter 16 that say differently. You know what I'm saying? Everybody who's been studying Romans 16, you know? So I I think it's less clear than we like to make it. And so I always say, why do we make a rule when that's not a rule? So I'm okay with women not serving as pastors, as long as we say that's a church man-made rule, not a Bible rule. That's my damn opinion. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, And that's just where, again, I don't read the Bible. Again, you know me. If the Bible says it, I believe it. And I just don't think the Bible clearly says that the role of pastor is only for men. Yes? I think so. Oh, have authority over a man? Oh, sure. All right. Oh, see, I shouldn't have even brought it up. It also says in that very same book of the Bible that women shouldn't wear jewelry, that they should not have long hair, and that they shouldn't speak in church. Right? So, is it or isn't it? If you're going to say, well, they, they shall not have authority over a man, that that's what it means in that verse, in the same book of the Bible, in the same chapter, then you also have to say that they can't wear makeup, jewelry, or have long hair or short hair. See? Yeah, so I'm just trying to make the point. You can't pick and choose. It either is a rule for all people of all time, or it was a rule that for that church at that place at that time. And in those days, at that church, at that place, in that time, it was extremely inappropriate for a woman to stand up and have authority over a man. It would have disrupted the worship. It would have disrupted the harmony and unity in the congregation. So Paul says, don't allow it. So the question that divides us in the Lutheran church is, is that a rule for all people of all times? Or was that a rule for those people at that place in that time? And that's where it gets dicey and and tricky. Yes. So getting back to Romans 16, Uh he mentions a lot of women. Yes. How off-putting was that to his audience at the time and since, but mostly at the time, maybe, if you know? It would have been off-putting. But I think that's exactly why Paul did it. And I think that's exactly why God inspired it. And I think that's exactly why it is in our Bible to this very day. So we will stop <laughs> making that distinction. I just don't think that's St. Paul. You know? All right, so and then here's, here's another thing. Here's how our translation really affects what we do. Here's that word prostasis again. Remember that she's a helper, right, in 16 verse 1. That very same word in the masculine form, which I printed for you there, prosamenos, which is in chapter 12, verse 8 of Romans. The same word in the masculine sense is used, but there, do you know how it's translated? There it's translated as a leader. So notice the bias of the translators, right? The same word, whether it's in the male, the male or female tense. When it's a female, it's called a helper. But when it's the masculine tense, it's a leader. That is not good translation of the Greek. Are you following me? But the bias of the translators comes through in this. When the masculine form is used, suddenly it's a leader. But when the feminine form is used, it's a helper. It's the same word, people. Are you following me? Right, but you see, this is the the bias of the translation. And so this is why we be so careful when we translate the scriptures that we let the word speak, not our preconceived notions or ideas about things. Right? I just think that is so wrong, the translation. Call it leader there and helper there. It's gotta be one or the other. Now granted, the, the context always changes the 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 inflection of the word, but still that's a big change. All right, so my point. St. Paul goes out of his way to lift up women as we talk about um, those who are important in the ministry. If you want to talk more about that or call me in the Missouri Synod, please do so. <laughs> All right, let's now move to the next section, Paul's cordiality. What I mean is this is his kind, cordial attitude towards people. Did you know in this chapter there's 35 names that are mentioned? plus other references to just a bunch of unnamed people, right? But by name, he names, he lists 35. There are eight references to people who were with him at Corinth. There are 27 people Paul identifies by name who were in Rome. 20 of them are men, seven of them are women. And Paul also mentions a couple of households and a couple of unnamed women. Two things I love about this, right? Number one, Paul knows these folks by name. I just love that about St. Paul. They're not, just, um, they're not just a face in the crowd. You know, they're, they're, he knows them by name. And he has personal connections with them, and he calls them by name. I think that is so neat. You know, that, that shows that he personally cares and is taking the time to get to know them. And second, I love that he mentions a whole number of women, as we've talked about already, lifting up the importance of of women in ministry is equally important as men. So now let's look at some names as we're gonna move into this next section. He starts off talking about Priscilla and Aquila. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. This is a famous husband and wife team. Priscilla and Aquila, married husband and wife, which proves that you can work together as husband and wife. (laughs) This is a picture that was written, uh, that was put together in the the 1700s. um, You can see Paul on the left, and Priscilla and Aquila are working, building, are uh, putting, building, sewing tents together because they were tent makers. And you all might know St. Paul was also a tent maker, and while he stayed with them, they they uh, put tents together as a means of income, right? So, interesting. Of Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the Bible, and four of the six times, guess who's listed first? Priscilla, the woman. You know that that's that's just again not normal. That's not the way it was done then, and you know what's crazy? It's still not today. If you introduce a couple, you will always say, here is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. How often do you say, here is Mrs. and Mr. Smith? You just don't do it that way. Right? Is that weird? It's we Just, again, our bias, our, our bias that we bring is it just comes into our language this way, but not the Bible. The Bible is so amazing. The I, I think uh, I, I heard um, it was... Um, John Ortberg, who, who did a, an amazing book, it's called um, Who is Jesus, right? The, uh, and in this book, he says that Jesus uh, and, and the Bible did more to advance the rights of women than any other book or any other movement, the Christian the Christian movement. Empowered women more than any other movement or any other book. And so I love it. Four out of six times, Priscilla is mentioned first. In Acts 18 verses 24 to 26, uh, Priscilla and Aquila meet a fellow who is Jewish, who is uh, preaching the faith of the Jewish faith, and and they invite them to his to their house, and they spend some time teaching him the truth about who Jesus was and how he revealed the Scriptures. And so their ministry is one of teaching; they were teachers. Priscilla and Aquila were great preachers and teachers. Who Priscilla? And almost always the person that's most influential is named first. So here, get this, is a woman who is a great preacher and teacher. How How could it be? And then he says, greet the church that meets in their house. So again, we're getting this idea. You're going to see this in Romans 16 that the the church was house churches do you know there were no churches until about 300 ad do you know that right there weren't christian churches there weren't christian church buildings there were jewish synagogues you know but there were no christian church buildings until about 300 when they started building churches for the place where did the church meet where did the church gather in people's homes, right? That was the way the church began in the home. Uh, And so greet the church that meets in their house. What did he call the people that gather in their house? A bunch of small group people, right? What did he say? The church. They were the church. The church was those who met in the home, and Priscilla and Aquila were influential and important in that. So he lifts up these great teachers, and the willingness of opening up their home so others may come and know and love Jesus. How cool is that? Maybe you've heard we pastors here at church talk about the importance of neighborhood discipleship. Have you heard us ever talk about that? Because if you haven't, you're gonna. Because <laughs> this is our new feeling, right? This is, this is where we believe in the next decade that God is moving faith Lutheran church that we're going to share the gospel, we're going to grow the kingdom, not by putting on a, a social media blitz where we invite people to come to church. That used to work. The, oh, you build it and they will come model. That doesn't work anymore. That a model, just build a church and people will come, it doesn't work anymore. Now the church has got to go out to the people. The church needs to get back into the house, into the neighborhoods. You all... Need to start inviting people to come meet at your house, to do a Bible study, and to bake some pies for uh, an event. You know, something like a potluck or something. Yes, sir. You need to do an editorial on this. It's called the famous husband and wife team. It should be a famous wife and husband team. You're right. It should be a famous wife and husband team. Also, there's a little indictment all in Romans 16 that we're going to hear in a little bit. Almost always, Paul says, the women worked hard for the Lord. Did you notice that? You never hear that about a man once. I'm just saying. All right, so uh, we love Priscilla and Aquila. God lifts up this great couple. Next, he talks about Gaius. He says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. So what do we know about Gaius? Uh, We know that he was wealthy because he hosted this whole church in Corinth. So he must have had a big old giant home, which means he had some money, right? And we know in 1 Corinthians 1.14 that he was also baptized by Paul, right? So here's like a picture. You can see uh, uh, just a a thought of what it might have looked like as Gaius was teaching and preaching the word in his home. Uh, The whole church here that's in Corinth, the whole church (laughs) sends you his greetings. So he was indeed important uh, there in hosting uh, that. Epinetus, Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. I wrote this, first babies are special. I'm saying we don't love our kids any more than another. But that first baby is special. You don't forget stuff with the first baby, isn't it true? The first baby has, the first baby has all the pictures and all the videos, and then the second baby has a few pictures and a few videos, and the third baby you might not even know is yours, because <laughs> there's no pictures. <laughs> well, see, Epinetus had a special point, part, place in Paul's heart because he was the first. He was the first to convert to Jesus Christ in Asia. In Paul's missionary journeys, he was the first. The tradition of the church is that he was St. Eponetus, who became the bishop of Carthage. And Paul calls him beloved. By the way, every time you see in English, greet my dear friend, right? The real word, the, the, the Greek word there is beloved. Greet my beloved, but the NIV translate that as dear friend. Right? So here is uh, the first, uh, and he is now apparently in Rome uh, doing his ministry there in the the area of the city of Rome. Mary. (laughs) Who in the world is Mary? Do you know that there is a ton of Marys? There are six persons in the New Testament who have the name Mary. This one is unknown, except for this reference. We don't know anything about her. It just says, greet Mary, who worked very hard, not bad, who worked very hard for you. Uh, so what do we know about this, Mary? Not a lot, but we know she was a hard worker. I just thought to myself, wouldn't that be cool for that to be said about you 2,000 years from now? That dude, that gal was a hard worker for the Lord. Would there, could there be anything better to hear than that? Right? So, you know, why don't we call her Mary the Hard Worker? We talk about doubting Thomas. Why would he say Mary the Hard Worker? <laughs> That's what we know about her. That's this beautiful person that Paul lifts up and sends special greetings to. Marty? I don't know if mine, the Bible does like, doesn't show guys here. <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> Yeah, why did I say 5B? It's verse 23. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know why I said 5B. But yeah, thanks for catching that, Marty. It's verse 23. I got my slides mixed up. All right, Adronicus and Junius. He says, greet Adronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been imprisoned with me. And they're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. There's a lot said about these two, aren't, isn't it? Uh, several times in chapter 16, if you caught this, Paul speaks of these folks as his relatives. We're not exactly sure, right? There's no way of really knowing for certain, but most likely they're not blood relatives. Most likely, he's talking about they were fellow Jews right? Or brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we say that a lot too. That doesn't mean we're really brothers and sisters. Most likely there's just a special connection with them that they were like, like brothers and sisters to one another. They were like relatives. Uh, I wrote this, they were ex-cons with Paul, right? Because they spent time in prison with him. So there was a connection that was built here in prison, most likely in Corinth. I don't know uh, where exactly. But then there's this interesting thing in the Greek here. Uh, it says they were outstanding among the apostles. Uh, it, it's a, a better translation of the Greek is they are of special note among the apostles. So there's some, they, they're, they're different. It's, it's not just that they're noticed, but they have special note. They've taken notice by the apostles themselves. So again, I wish I knew the whole rest of the story. But whatever it is, there's a special connection that they had that connected them to the 12 apostles uh, in a certain way. They were of special note. Amphilitus. Greet Amphilitus, whom I love in the Lord. Did you know this is a slave name? Right? This is the name of a slave. And yet, here's what I think is so cool. This picture here is a literal tomb In Rome, right? This is a tomb that was unearthed in Rome for a princess that was thrown to the lions and killed for her faith as a Christian. And in her tomb, this tomb that you see here is this little back part, this little back corner there where that door is called amphelitis cubicle. And in that tomb is an ossuary box. You know what that is? A box where the, the bones and the ashes of the person would be put. And then they would place that box. It would be like we would call it an urn today, right? And on the ossuary box, you would inscribe the name of the person or something about the person. And it's an expensive ossuary box, very ornately decorated in a special part of his own room, his own cubicle for guess who? A woman. No, amphilitus. This slave, right? This slave has a special place in honor in this princess's life who gave her life for believing in Jesus Christ. The the implication there is, what, why did she have him buried with her? Because he was the one who taught and shared Jesus Christ with her. How cool is that, huh? So this slave shared the faith with who knows how many people and is given a place of honor in his death and his burial. Wow. So again, this is one of the archeological things where I love it when archeology span helps us understand the truth and the accuracy of the scriptures. Now we know that this guy was a real guy who really lived. Uh, so if you ever want to look that up and read, it's an, fascinating. There's a whole lot more to that story about his life and his ministry, the tradition of the church and what he was able to accomplish and do. So it, Paul lifts him up. It says, "Greet him whom I love in the Lord. Oh, boy, here's four at once, right? Urbanus, Stax, Apollos, and Aristopolis. He says, greet them and attested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the house of Aristopolis. We know very little about these guys again, but notice this. He says, Aristopoulos, but he says what? Greet those who belong to the house of Aristopolis. So most people, again, believe that he was not really a believer. But people in his household, that would be his slaves, uh, people that, relatives perhaps who lived in the home with him, knew and loved Jesus Christ, that Paul lifts them up. And what do we know about this guy? We do know that he was the grandson of Herod the Great. And he was best friend of Claudius Caesar. All right, so again... Just think about what this means. St. Paul is greeting the household that's the people who live in the house of Aristobulus, who has a place of authority and has the ear of Caesar himself. Let that sink in a little bit. And all of these names, by the way, are in the imperial court in Rome. These four names that he lists are all somehow connected with the imperial court, Caesar's court, in Rome itself. So you see how St. Paul is greeting these folks and how the gospel is spreading in Rome, even into Caesar's court. There's more of this coming in a little bit. I think that's pretty cool and encouraging. Anybody heard of Narcissus? Right? Not the God Narcissus. That's a different one. That's the one who, remember, he couldn't stop looking at himself in the pool. Right? This Narcissus... Uh, many of the Greeks were named there. He said, greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Again, maybe not a believer because he says, greet those in the household of Narcissus. Right? But here's the cool thing about him. By the way, this is an actual bust in Rome of him, of Narcissus. Again, uh, he was the appointment secretary of Caesar, of Claudius Caesar. This was, some would say, the most powerful and influential position in all of Rome except for Caesar himself. More important than anyone in the Senate, more important than any other leader or ruler in Rome. Do you know why? Because if anyone wanted to talk to Caesar, if anyone wanted to get a letter to Caesar, who did they go through? It was Narcissus. He made the appointments. He's the one who would get Caesar's ear to hear your plea or your request or whatever, right? So history has him, by the way, as rich beyond imagination. He he would be a a billionaire today. And how do you think he got so rich? Right? If you want to see Caesar, what do you got to do? You got to grease the wheels, right, through bribery. He just made millions of dollars through bribery. Now, why is this all important? See, here's this next. Here's this again. How God works. Uh, Nero was the Caesar that came after Claudius. And how did Caesars kind of get rid of the Caesar before them? It wasn't an election. (laughs) Nine times out of ten, it was a murder, right? So he's killed, and uh, Nero has Narcissus commit suicide, right? and then takes his riches and his household as his own. Now stop. What did we just say about Narcissus's household here? It was full of Christians, full of believers, full of people. St. Paul says, greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And now after Narcissus is killed, what happened to those believers? Now they became the household of Nero, <clears throat> Nero, who persecuted and killed Christians, had Christians in his own household. How God works! Saint Paul lifts it up and encourages the church of Narcissus. Wow! Tryphania and The <laughs> Greek Tryphania and Tryphosa, and these women who work hard in the Lord. Most people believe they were sisters and probably twins because of their name. Their names being dainty and delicate. This picture does not do dainty and delicate justice. Dainty and delicate, and yet they were hard workers for the Lord. I know a commentator who said this was St. Paul's kind of little bit of humor. So everybody, ha, 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 laugh. Ha, 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 laugh. That's St. Paul humor. These small, little, dainty and delicate women are hard workers in the Lord. I think that's pretty sweet. Again, notice they're hard workers. We haven't heard that about any men yet, have we? We've heard it about several women so far. Um, This one, Persis. I couldn't find any good pictures for Persis, but look what I did find. There's a comfort dog named Persis. Is that cool or what? Right. So, you know, we have we have our beautiful uh, Hagar. Uh, they're all biblical names. Right. There's another comfort dog that's named Persis. Right. From Romans 16, 12. And look what St. Paul said about it. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. What a great night for a comfort dog, because these comfort dogs work hard for the Lord. They really do. You know, it'd be easy just to be able to lick everybody that came by and eat every treat that's on the ground. But they're not allowed to. They have to sit there and look cute and like, come pet me, please. Right? I love the name Persis for a a comfort dog. Um, You know, the word word has worked very hard in the Lord. The Greek literally is to toil to the point of exhaustion. That's cool. And here's another thing that's different about Persis. The definite article in the Greek is here for her. When it says, greet my dear friend Persis, Really, it says, greet not just my beloved, it says, greet the beloved. And that's not in any of the others. So that's led several commentators to think that Persis was not just beloved to Paul, but was beloved to many others. That's why she's called the beloved. Again, what a great name for a comfort dog, the beloved Persis. And so he thanks her, works for her hard work in the Lord. Rufus, wait till you hear this story. Yes. A question way over there. I would guess that's not the case. He said maybe the men were were smarter and were just working smarter, not harder. Come on, church. We don't know if he ever did find out, but if he did, he did. <laughs> I mean, cause that's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's check out Rufus. This is a great story. Everybody. He says, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. So we know nothing of St. Paul's mothers never once mentioned, but we do know this woman, Rufus's mom, who was like St. Paul's mother. So he considers Rufus's mother his own. Now here's the cool thing. We know of Rufus elsewhere in the Bible. Mark 15, 21. You might remember Jesus is on the way to the, to the cross on Golgotha. And he is so weak that they pull a guy in Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd to carry Jesus' cross. And it says Simon was there with whom? His sons, Alexander and Rufus. Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus to Golgotha. Rufus would have been an eyewitness this far away from you and me, from Jesus carrying his cross. Alexander and Rufus, the brothers, would have certainly followed their dad as he's carrying the cross all the way to Golgotha. So what would they have witnessed there, Golgotha? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Here's a man who who witnessed the crucifixion crucifixion of Christ and then became a great believer and an evangelist and a witness and his mother became so important to St. Paul that he considered her his second mom. How's that? Right? And then he says, chosen in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. There's a lot of debate on the Greek on this one if it's really chosen. Sometimes the word in can also mean by. And if it indeed means chosen by the Lord, right, maybe, just maybe, Jesus said something to Rufus. Maybe Jesus literally said something, called Rufus, called, encouraged, led, whatever, in that moment when their dad was being pulled in to carry that cross. Who knows the connection between Rufus and Christ? All we know is that years later, Rufus was a believer, faithful in following Jesus Christ and lifting up. Again, if you ever want to read St. Rufus, the Eastern Orthodox Church lifts up St. Rufus as one of the all-time great saints. There's just so much stuff in the Eastern Orthodox Church about St. Rufus and his ministry uh, as one of the early bishops in the church. So doesn't that stuff give you goosebumps or not? Right? All right as Secretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, and Hermes. He says, greet them and the brothers with them. Not a single one of these persons can be identified in the Bible anywhere else except here. And they all have slave names. So apparently there was a house church in Rome of freed slaves that were able to worship and share the good news. There is a tradition of the church. There is another book. That was written by Hermes, uh, and it's called The Shepherd of Hermes. And it's one of those books that never made it into the Bible. One of the 60, you know, there's a whole bunch of other books that were written in those days that didn't make it into the Bible. One of them is called The Shepherd of Hermes, and it's a, you should read it. It is just a beautiful story about Jesus, the Good Shepherd. It's all about Jesus, the good shepherd. It's building on Jesus' words. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, right? And the whole is the story of Jesus going after the one sheep that was lost. Just a really good read. So maybe that was him. We don't know this for sure. It's tradition of the church, right? Uh, Asyncrasus was beheaded in the tradition of the church uh, for his faith. But in the tradition of the church, after he was beheaded, his head continued to preach the good news of Jesus Christ for a period of time, right? (laughs) Whatever it is, Paul lifts this guy up. I guess he couldn't stop talking about Jesus, no matter what. Um, So we don't know a lot about those four. Uh, Then we have Philologus, Julia, Nerus, Olympus. He says, greet them and his sister and Olympus and all the saints with them. Again, there's no other reference in the Bible to these fellas or that gal. Uh, but there is an inscription of Philogus being freed and serving Caesar's household. So again, there it's just one of those cool archaeological things that you can see today that this guy was a real person. All right. And then there's this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings, he says, uh, in verse 16. Uh do you know for the first 200 years, that's the way Christians greeted one another? They literally kissed each other. They greeted each other with a kiss. Now we get all squirrely when we have to share the peace with one another even, you know. But in those days, you gri- you greeted one another with a kiss. Well, what was the point? This beautiful list of people, they shared something together. They shared a love and a community for one another. They greeted one another with a holy kiss. I think that's important for us, that we still know that to be a Christian means it's okay to be kind to one another, to show affection to one another, right? It's all right. Uh, He talks about Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sopater. These were all folks who were with him in Corinth. So not only does he send his greetings, but he sends their greetings. Uh, These Mm -hmm. men were with Paul in Corinth. We don't know all of them. We know Timothy, of course, Uh, but we're going to spend eternity with them. So it's kind of cool that we get to hear a little bit about him now before we get there. Here's what I like, Tertius. In verse 22, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Did you all know that only Galatians did Paul write with his own hand? Right? All the rest of the books were dictated. Or got, or he worked with his, his pen, his writers, so that you know, they would write down what he told them to write. So Tertius was Paul's secretary who wrote down the book of Romans. And uh, I love it. Did you know Tertius means third? It's a slave name. His name was Third. You know, that just shows you the kind of respect that he had growing up. Like, he was probably little. He probably never had a name of his own. He was always called Tertius, Third. But now look at the value of Tertius, right? St. Paul's scribe, his words are being read by millions of people through the centuries, right? Tertius, St. Paul. Uh, lets him send his greetings. By the way, this is my favorite picture of all that I've shown tonight. Do you see the hand of God who gives the word to St. Paul in the middle? And do you see St. Paul pointing down to Tertius down below as he writes down the words? It's the inspiration process of God. That's just a cool picture, isn't it? I like that picture. Uh, Yes. Well, there were Greek names, there were Jewish names, and then there were slave names. You just, I mean, you just knew. I mean, it's, there was probably like a book of baby names. (laughs) Book of slave baby names, book of Greek baby names. Everybody just knew. Yeah. So that was Tertius, who was three. But then look at later in verse 24, we we hear of Quartus. Do you know what that means? Four. So now here's four. Our, our brother Quartus also sends you his greetings, most likely Tertius' brother. That would make sense, right? Three and four. I always thought you should write this, like, here's the Dan translation of this verse. Number three wrote the book, and number four says hi. <laughs> that's, that's what I think is going on here. Quartus uh, was the tradition of the church he became the bishop of Beirut. But that's where he did his missionary work and converted many folks in Beirut. All right, so that's the list of who's who's. And that's not all of it. It's most of them. Uh, by the way, you do not know how much time I've spent because it's like a, you get down these rabbit holes, you start you start learning about something about them, and then you're researching what this old tradition of the church is and that tradition of the church. It was just a joyful time uh, digging into all those names. So what what do we learn from all of that? That's this next part, the insights from who's who. Number one, is it not obvious that the church is not a building, right? This is insights on point two under cordiality, right? You can see the same Paul that he doesn't give a rip about the building, right? What does he care about? His people, the church is people in relationship with one another, in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the church. What do I always tell you? Here's the church. Here's the steeple, but open the door and what? See all the people. Right? That's the church. It's the people of God. and I think St. Paul is clear about that here. Second, every individual is important to St. Paul. Right, Every individual is significant. There are no little people in God's family. Don't you ever dare think you're a little person. Right, Please don't ever think that someone is better or more qualified to be used of God or has a greater purpose in the kingdom of God. That's just not true, right? There are no little people in God's family. Every single person is significant. Look at the people that St. Paul lifted up, right? From slaves to people who were there when Jesus was carrying his cross. They're all equally valued by St. Paul. Four, don't you think this is true? People need recognition. Paul understood that he had something good to say about everybody, and those good words were not the reason that people did it, but those good words were the encouragement that people needed to continue to do it. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. I just want to say something that I mentioned to you before. I think you and Kathleen are are great at edifying people. Every time that I do something, they ask me to do something to help with communion or release the people. Kathleen will always say thank you for your service. Aww. You are a good encourager, I'll agree. Yeah. And we can all be that. And you are too now. See, you just did it. We, we can all do that. That's important. You need to hear that. And again, as I said, that's not the reason we do it, but it sure makes doing it a whole lot more fun and more meaningful. So I love it. He, he lifted up people. He recognized what they did. He recognized that they were hard workers, that they toiled to the point of exhaustion that they gave of themselves. And finally, I don't want this to pass. Greeting is a Christian duty. we We are to express love and affection for each other. We German folks can do this. We can, right? It's okay to handshake. It's okay to tell someone in church that you value or treasure something about them. It's okay. More than okay, it's important. It's what we do in the body of Christ. Right? We're supposed to show love and affection for one another, right? A card, uh, a gift, uh, an unexpected thank you, you know, those sort of things is how we build each other up in the church. It is so important. And you know what I think you'll find if you start doing it? Not only will you make a difference in other people's lives, but you feel better. You just feel better when you do it. Yes? Yep. She said she was a greeter for years with her husband, ex, uh, with, uh, her husband was passed, Leo. But he, she said you'd be surprised how many people just walk right by. So next time you see one of our greeters at church, you just stop and handshake and thank them for being a great greeter, will you? Right? And if it happens to be Lois Simon, be careful because you're going to get hugged. Right? She's, yep, she's one of our great greeters. All right, so do you see this list of names? Is it just a list of names? There's stuff here for us to learn about Paul, St. Paul's heart and what the church looks like and what it does. Uh, did you ever see this book called Crowded Pews and Lonely People? It's a, it's a book about the church and how, especially big churches, it's very easy for people to come to a big church because they feel like they can come in, they can do their worship thing, And get out and never have to talk to another person. And the the point of the book is when you do that, you miss the point of the church. The church isn't to come in and worship and not have to talk to anybody. (laughs) The church is about coming so you can talk to somebody. So that somebody can talk to you. So that someone can listen to you. So that you can listen to someone. So that you can be loved and that you can love another. That's what the church is all about, everybody. Right? It's where we come to be loved and love one another. So the churches, some some churches are full of crowded pews and lonely people. Again, I pray every day that's not faith church. Right? I pray that we're making time to go in the commons after worship and have a half a donut or a cup of coffee and just stick around and talk to people. Just do that. Meet some new people. Talk to some folks. Love some people. Shake a hand. Do something weird. Just be with people. All right, I'll go here and then I'll come back over there. I've heard that uh, the late sainted Dr. Henry Simon made it a point that everybody talked to everybody and you never let somebody leave the church without being talked to. That makes sense to me. That was his, his motto. Pastor Simon was our first pastor here, and Dennis was saying that he said, make a point that everybody knew everybody and everybody talked to everybody. And I think that's why the church grew so fast when he was here. Yep, next. Um, I have a note in my Bible that at the beginning of chapter 16 that Paul would, had grant for the people who were provisions of God's grace. Provisions of God's grace. So what you're saying is when you say something nice to another person, that God is using you to share his grace? Ooh, that's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that's good stuff. All right, let's not be a church of crowded pews and lonely people, all right? All right, now, we've talked about Paul's commendation. We've talked about his cordiality. Let's look at his caution. After this weighty theological treatise called Romans— filled with meaty truths and deep lessons, you want to make one last parting instruction, what would you say to the church? I mean, Paul has just laid on us 15 chapters of Romans. It says, last words. You know, you think what he's going to say is going to matter most. This is his parting shot, his parting words. And what does he say? I urge you to watch out for those who cause divisions. And put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Oh, can you hear his heart? He's like, I know you've got all this. You've learned all this. You get this. You know you're saved by grace through faith. You know you don't deserve because you're a sinner. You know Jesus died to give you everything. You know the opportunities you have to accept one another and to lift one another up. But right, don't please let there be any divisions. Don't argue. Don't let any obstacles get in the way of the teachings of Jesus Christ and his great love for you. I want you to know what's good, and I want you to be innocent from what's evil. These are his, party, his last cautionary words to us. Be careful. It's so easy to get caught up in that. So his words are, maintain unity in Christ. That's his caution. Do everything you can to maintain unity in the body of Christ. I think this is an incredible point of all the things he could have said, like make sure you tithe and give 10%. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say things like that. He said, maintain unity. He didn't say, get all your doctrines straight. Make sure you've got it all figured out. He says maintain unity, love one another. Uh, church must be a place of harmony and love. Otherwise, it's not really church. All right. And then he closes with his conclusion. He has this great benediction of praise to God. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. He closes with a benediction to God and, again, reiterates the great purpose of the church, to share the gospel so all nations might believe. It's not that hard. What's the purpose of the church? It's pretty clear. Share the gospel. That's the easy part. Doing it's a whole lot harder. And then he closes with these words, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So I want to close by saying thank you. It has been such a joy doing Romans with you all. Uh, I have learned so much. Uh, if any of you are teachers, you know you learn a whole lot more preparing a study than you do, right, sitting in the class. I've learned so much, but I've also received so much energy from you all just watching you get it. Watching light bulbs turn on all over the place, hearing you tell me how something you learned just changed the way you think, a new understanding about the Bible, about God, about how he loves you, about your place in the kingdom of God, that's the stuff that really juices me up. So thank you for that. And my prayer for you, I've said this before and I'll say it again. My prayer is that this is not just a study that you're going to put away, that you're going to take your Romans book and you're going to put it in the shelf somewhere. Right, And it'll be a lovely study that you experienced way back when. But my prayer is that it will be a faith-growing, life-changing moment that never, ever leaves you the same. That God just got into your heart through this book and uh, changed the way you think and helped you understand your purpose for life. Yes? I did. Six o'clock tomorrow. Six o'clock Tuesday. Right? Not tomorrow, six o'clock Tuesday. I am. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, there is that. Well, as I said, in our synod, it's a it's a conversation. Wine, women, and song. We're still having that conversation, but not between the three. Just in our Missouri synod, it's yeah, we do. We we're having a lot of talk, but it's it's split. Yeah, it's it's not settled. Some people feel strongly one way, and some people feel strongly another way. Oh. Yeah, not too often. <laughs> not very often. We can't even figure it out in our own synod. How can we work it out with them? You know. Agreed. They sure are. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Thank you. Five. You guys are the best. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a joy. All right, the email is down there in the bottom, because I would love for you, just if you want to just do some reflection on Romans, if you want to just send me something that was meaningful, something that you learned, something that you'll take with you that would just really juice me up. So if you want uh, to share, reflect on that a little bit, I'd love to hear it. All right, thanks everybody. God's blessings. We'll see you next Tuesday for the potluck. woo